It is now 6 p.m. and I'm going to call the City of Iowa City meeting to order on November 1st, 2022. Roll call, please. Alter here. Burgess here. Harmson here. Taylor here. Teague here. Thomas here. Weiner here. All right, and welcome to everyone that is here in City Hall and also those that are virtual as well. Our, um, we're going to move on to 1A, which is proclamations. Change your clock, change your battery day. Whereas City of Iowa City is committed to ensuring the safety and security of all those living in and visiting our city. And whereas fire is a serious public safety concern, both locally and nationally, and homes are the locations where people are at greatest risk from fire. And whereas between the hours of 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. are the peak alarm hour times for fire deaths when people tend to be asleep. And whereas almost two-thirds of home fires in the United States resulted from fires in homes with inoperable smoke alarms or no smoke alarms, and whereas the designation of a special day to remind residents of Iowa City to change the batteries in their smoke alarms, time to coincide with the fall ritual of changing clocks would greatly diminish the, ch the chance of this tragedy occurring in Iowa City. And whereas smoke alarms should replace, be replaced every 10 years, and whereas November 6, 2022 is the day of the community members of Iowa City change their clock from daylight savings time to standard time. Now, therefore, I, Bruce Teague, Mayor of Iowa City, do hereby proclaim November 6, 2022 to be change your clock, change your battery day in Iowa City and urge all residents to change their smoke alarm batteries install new smoke alarms where needed, and to replace smoke alarms if they are 10 years old or older. And to receive this proclamation is Fire Captain Troy Roth. Thank you, Mayor, Council, for recognizing this most important day where we perform the fall ritual of changing the batteries in our clocks when we change the time. Uh, last year, every year in the United States, there are around 3,000 uh, home fire deaths. And uh, as you mentioned, two-thirds of these homes have uh, smoke alarms that are either not working or missing. That works out to 2,000 needless fire deaths. The working smoke alarm is one of the single most important fire safety devices we have in our homes. It is important that we keep the batteries up to date and we test them every month. It is estimated that households with inoperative smoke alarms now outnumber those homes with no smoke alarms. And smoke alarms most often fail because of dead or missing batteries. So it's vital that we test them every month. Uh, many new smoke alarms are 10-year sealed units, uh, so you don't have to change the batteries in those, but just remember to test the unit. As you take your smoke alarm off this year to uh, change the batteries, there's a date on the back of each one, 10 years. 
Uh, doesn't mean they won't work past 10 years, but it's recommended uh, to change them every 10 years. Thank you for this. Thank you. All right, we're gonna move on to items two through six. Can I get a motion to approve the consent calendar? So moved, Weiner. Second, Burgess. Anyone from the public like to discuss this topic? If you are in present, please step to the podium. If you're online, please raise your hand and I'll acknowledge you. Seeing no one, council discussion. Just wanted to uh, mention item 5C, the Sturgis Ferry Park Improvements and Southside Recycling Center. And I kind of say park tongue in cheek because I've never really thought of it as a park. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of boaters using it uh, going on and off the boat ramp. So I was just really pleased to see this because adding the new amenities uh, that will enhance the park use, uh, such as a pavilion and, and paved parking lot. Um, I mean, it's, it, this has been much needed for a long time and uh, be a major improvement. So I'm sure everybody will appreciate these improvements. Thank you for that. Yeah. Right. I also wanted to mention 5B. It's, it's long past. It's been long past time that we reclassify the airport manager's pay grade. I think he's been undervalued or at least underpaid for some years. So happy to see that. Yes, I agree. All right. Roll call, please. Burgess. Yes. Harmson. Yes. Taylor. Yes. Teague. Yes. Thomas. Yes. Weiner. Yes. Alter. Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item number six is community comment. This is an opportunity for individuals within our community to come before uh, council to speak on any item that is not on our agenda. You'll have up to three minutes if you wish to address a topic that's not on the agenda. Please sign in or bring um, a sign in uh, tab from the back podium. If you're online, which I see no one at this time, um, but if someone does come online, you can raise your hand. Welcome. Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, my name is Brandon Ross. I live in Iowa City, and the clock's not running, so I'm going to go for a half hour. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, all right. See, I, I blew the whistle on myself. I, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, happy autumn and everything. Uh, I do want to uh, uh, speak uh, just briefly about uh, that the uh, that there's a terrible uh, crisis going on in Eastern Europe right now. Um, my family background is from Ukraine, uh, uh, from Kiev, actually. Um, and right now it's eight months. Um, the U.S. and NATO uh, are in there, and Russia's on the other side. It's East versus West. It's a, a civil war that has been going on for eight and a half years. Uh, and uh, the U.S. and NATO chose the eastern side of Ukraine, and Russia chose the western side of Ukraine and entered the country. Whether you believe this is because of U.S. and NATO aggression and imperialism, or it's because of Russian war crime uh, for entering the country, or both, the important thing right now I w would like to say is that we uh, is that we write to our congressmen, our senators, uh, and people in the House and the White House, and we please uh, plead with them to uh, open be open for negotiations. Uh, those of you who followed uh, probably have heard the State Department say that negotiations are off the table. However, the United States is not really at war with anybody in the area. So for the U.S. to be able to say that negotiations are off the table is a perverse position. Why should I bring this up in an Iowa City Council? 
Well, you know, they say uh, act local, think global. And uh, I do believe that this is a local issue. I do believe it has something to do with Iowa City. Uh, I believe that this affects everybody. It affects our economy. Uh, it affects, uh, well, our ability to continue on this planet. Right now, there are two nuclear p uh, powers that are going at it. It's the, uh, the United States and Russia. Ukraine is just a playing field for the two. Right now, U.S. has no soldiers in Ukraine, but Ukrainians are there. Uh, U.S. is not being bombed, but Ukrainians are being bombed. There are Russian people in Ukraine. The Russians actually came in uh, on one side to shield the Donbas area, which is Russian. Uh, and that was their at least intent. What it became later had a lot to do with us. So please, there are writing campaigns going on across the country. Please plead with the White House and representatives and senators to, to ask for negotiations to be part of our foreign policy. And it's a disgrace that the U.S. could say something like negotiations are off the table. And a letter was withdrawn from Congress that was authored by Ro Khanna and 50 others that asked for negotiations to be put put on the agenda, and that was retracted. And uh, that's a complete disgrace. And uh, please, uh, take 15 minutes and, and work this through. Write to your Congress. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the City Council and everybody here. Thank you. Welcome. Please state your name and the city you're from, and there's also a sign in there. Hi, my name is Felicia Pieper, um, and I live in Iowa City. Um, I'm here advocating on behalf of an unhoused um, mother of four children um, who cannot be here because she has a lot going on. Um, she uh, has been in contact with Shelter House since 2021 before her eviction. Um, she moved through the eviction process by herself, um, worked out a deal with her landlord um, on her own to make sure that she didn't have an eviction on her record. Um, Shelter House is supposed to be um, following her through her through that process. They were not. Um, she did it by herself. Um, she's been unhoused uh, completely um, for at least three months now um, and has continued to get um, her calls ignored, her texts ignored, and um, appointments canceled from Shelter House. Um, she um, cares for four children in our school district. Um, and I, this is not the first time that I've come to city council meetings talking about Shelter House. I'm also concerned about um, the cold weather and the fact that I have not heard anything about a winter shelter. Um, I am, you know, lucky to um, call some of our unhoused neighbors' friends um, who've dealt with the lack of winter shelter and those conditions. I think it's appalling that the city of Iowa City does not take accountability for our unhoused neighbors and farms that off to a nonprofit who is clearly not accountable to the community. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else like to address a topic that's not on our agenda? Welcome. Please state your name and city you're from. Uh, hi, I'm Hannah Zadet. Um, I'm from Iowa City. Um, I also want to talk about housing in the community. Um, uh, so obviously Shelter House is an extremely important institution in this community, but it's still a private institution. Um, and that means it's not held accountable to the public and to our community. Um, I don't know how we can continue to say that housing is a, uh, a human right while also relegating it to a private nonprofit. Um, there's nothing that's more important than housing. Um, you know, what could be more important than keeping our community members out of the cold in Iowa winters? I'm also really concerned that we have not heard anything about uh, a winter shelter yet. Um, 
And, you know, we hear a lot about rents rising in the city, an increasingly inaccessible housing market, um, and more and more, and more and more of members of our community are unhoused or housing insecure. And yet we continue to prioritize um, real estate uh, companies and landlords um, in, instead of uh, prioritizing keeping our member, uh, members of our community and our neighbors out of the cold during Iowa winters um, and, and giving people access to housing, something that is extremely basic. Um, this is part of a larger problem. Public housing needs to be a priority of the council and of the city um, where we can democratically and collectively build a community that does not pr uh, prioritize um, these uh, landlords and real estate companies and instead actually prioritizes housing. Um, I agree that um, we should not be relegating this to a private nonprofit. This needs to be um, a, a public um, institution that we can um, deal with uh, democratically. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Hello, my name is Tara McGovern. I live in Coralville. I'm also here advocating on behalf of our friend that was mentioned first by Felicia. Um, and I'm just here to share some details because she's not here to tell her story today and she asked that we pass this along. You could also go and look at the Board of Supervisors um, meeting from the last time um, because um, our friend showed up at that meeting and was able to tell her story. Um, as far as I know, we're still not getting um, the support that is needed. So in February of 2021, um, the Grant Elementary SFA, SFA connected our friend with um, staff at Shelter House. Um, and she wasn't able at that time to get support from Shelter House because she had some subsidized housing. Um, so we're, we've all, we're all the way back um, in February 2021. Um, and in April of 2022, she contacted Shelter House before leaving her, her previous residence. June of that year, um, one of her daughters sadly died. August of that year, um, and, and, and she was contacting throughout, from June into, through August, she was working to try to get housing for her family. Um, in August of that year, she, was, she had to go to eviction court. The shelter house staff was supposed to be present at the court hearing, but they were not present in the courtroom. Um, August 15th of 2022, shelter house staff told her that the shelter was full and that um, she was going to be put on the priority list, August 15th, 2022, still unhoused. Um, also that month, um, she and her four school-aged children, school, children in this district, our, our, our school district, um, uh, were, had, had to move to a, 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 a hotel room that has been paid through community's financial assistance program and also through crowdfunding. Still not a stable housing situation. No transportation being provided for her children to get to and from school other than um, some of the gas money that has been provided occasionally, um, but then you need to have a car in order to use that. So. Um, Let's see, September of 2022, the hotel 
where she had been staying has tried on multiple occasions to kick the family out um, to make room for football games um, and the football fans, even though there are some uh, arrangements between hotels um, to try to have discounted rates for, fam for people that are experiencing homelessness. Um, so all that to say, uh, as just to follow up on both of what Felicia and also Hannah said, um, we have a problem here. We have a problem with accountability and people are falling through the cracks. Um, we had a, a, a person who came and spoke before you at the last city council meeting. Um, I'd love to know how you followed up to help her as well um, because we are feeling like um, we're being passed from one agency to another agency and justification is being made for nobody doing anything to help. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else like to address a topic that is not on our uh, council agenda? Seeing no one, we're gonna move on to item number seven, which is planning and zoning matters. We have uh, somebody online to talk. Somehow I don't see them. Um, okay, all right, now I do see. All right, we're gonna welcome Noah. Welcome, Noah. One second, please. Welcome, Noah. Hello, you can hear me? Yes. Okay, okay perfect. Um, I wanted to re-raise the housing issue again. The chief seeker spoke, well, excuse me, third seeker spoke. So right more weeks ago, I just went, uh, this is an issue that we've had uh, years now of you the city not doing anything about winter shelter which i haven't heard anything about there being winter shelter open open and i've asked every single one of you sitting up there on that dais and only you bruce and janice are the only ones to respond to me which is really sad that you have so little care for the houseless community that you can't even bother to like do anything about it like you you know this is a problem and yet you sit in your ass and you so what so my question is when are you going to uh put this on the agenda item of like of how to have a shelter for people that actually works in the winter hello we're hearing we can hear you Hello? Are you done? We can hear you. I just don't know what's wrong. Are you done with your comments? All right, thank you. Anyone else have any comments that is not on our agenda item? I don't know if you can hear me or not. Anyone else? Seeing no one. We're going to move on to item number seven, which is planning and zoning matters. 7A is rezoning 937 East Davenport Street. Ordinance rezoning property located at 937 East Davenport Street from medium uh, density single family residential to medium density single family residential with a historic district overlay. And I'm gonna open up the public hearing. 
And we'll start with comments from our staff. Danielle, welcome. Thank you, Mayor. City Council Danielle Sitzman, Neighborhood Development Services. As you introduced, this is a, a voluntary rezoning request to a historic uh, landmark district for 937 East Davenport Street. The owner is here tonight and uh, will probably speak to you as well. The purpose of the landmark historic designation is overall to ensure the preservation of historic resources and require historic review for exterior uh, modifications after the designation. The difference between a landmark, uh, historic landmark, and a historic district is that a historic district is for um, a cohesive area with several properties included, um, all contributing significantly to the integrity of the district. A landmark is basically a standalone property. Um, they do use the same uh, historic criteria, though, to be evaluated as to whether they should be designated or not. So we'll talk about that a little bit as we go through this application. Um, the property is currently zoned RS8. It will retain that zoning. The landmark designation is an overlay zoning, so it simply goes on top of that, um, and uh, so all of the existing use regulations still remain. Um, once the landmark designation is applied, however, it does uh, trigger historic reviews of uh, exterior changes to the building, as I mentioned. It also makes the property eligible for some special exceptions and additional flexibility in our zoning code and for tax credits from uh, the state. So in regards to this property, it is one of the few intact examples of early Goosetown cottages that show the area's semi-agrarian history. This area consists of many long, narrow lots with houses located near the street, allowing, uh, as they did in the day, for gardens, orchards, and animal grazing even. Uh, a large por portion of the Goosetown area uh, was home to working-class immigrant population populations in Iowa City from Bohemia and Ger Germany. So this house was owned and built by a Bohemian immigrant who worked as a stonemason and was later uh, occupied by multiple generations of one family and even uh, became starter home and rental property um, common to the neighborhood. The property was um, constructed around 1874, and this slide shows the various additions that have occurred over time that have been documented through our historic research into the property, um, and then the designation tonight. Um, constructed, as I said, in, around 1874, it's a simple single-story structure. Um, as you look at the pictures, you think um, it's not one of those monumental uh, architectural types, types, but it's definitely part of the history of this neighborhood. Um, this photo identifies some of those additions I mentioned early visually where they occurred on the building. Um, before 1882, there's an addition for uh, the basic, basically the structure growing as the family that occupied it grew, grew as well. Um, and then there's been very few changes uh, since the 1920s, and so it remains kind of a, a great example of uh, the early history of the neighborhood. This shows one of those porch additions. Um, obviously, with a large family and a small house, if anybody's lived that way, you realize you spend a lot of time outside. So uh, the porch addition was an important component to that as well. So talking about landmark uh, rezonings, um, this is a zoning action. So there's involvement by the Planning and Zoning Commission to evaluate the criteria that we look at for rezonings, which are essentially compliance with the comprehensive plan and any public improvement uh, plans for the area. And the role of the Historic Preservation Commission, which also recommend, makes recommendations, is to evaluate the historic significance of the property. So in regards to compliance with the comprehensive plan, um, the proposed rezoning is compliance, compliant with the comprehensive plan, which has multiple goals for preservation of historic resources, um, as well as the culture and history of um, Iowa City. Um, as then, and also looking, uh, there are no major um, propose, proposed public improvement plans in the area that this uh, designation would conflict with. 
regarding the historic significance that's evaluated by the Historic Preservation Commission, the criteria that are used are, are a series of criteria. The first two are prerequisites that both must be met, and in this case they are. And then one of the remaining uh, criteria must also be found, and in this case two additional ones have been found. So for the first two prerequisites, the, it is a recognizable um, architectural um, type um, and does uh, a significant aspect of the community history, so uh, A. Also, um, the property is located in its original location, retains most of its historic materials that defines its historic character and is surrounded by residential properties that are indicative of the original setting of, of the structure and the way the agrarian um, immigrant populations uh, established in this neighborhood. Again, going towards C, associated with events that have a significant contribution to broad patterns of our history, going to the, um, speaking to the immigrant population and housing types of the day and the living habits of those occupants. Um, when HPC reviewed this, I'm not sure if criteria F had been fully um, commented on, but we have heard back from the Office of the State Archaeologist that because of the relatively undisturbed uh, nature of this lot, that there may very well be historic uh, archaeological resources that could be um, found in the, in the future if they were to be explored on this lot just because um, much of the lot's undisturbed. So things fell where they fell and they might still be discoverable in the future. Uh, next steps, this really is a pretty simple uh, development process, just the uh, initiation of the rezoning. And as I said, this did receive recommendation from both HPC and Planning and Zoning Commission, both rec recommending um, unanimously designation as a landmark. And that concludes my staff report. I'm happy to answer questions. And as I mentioned, the property owner is here tonight. Great. Any questions? Thank you. All right. Is there a development team that have any um, did the property owner want to want to give comments? I'm I'm just here if you would like to ask questions. But um, I thought that maybe, <clears throat> pardon me, a couple of things could be I should have added um, in that little summary. Um, and just for clarification, I just want to make sure that. Uh, everyone know that I'm opening up public comment, um, and you'll have three minutes to give your comments. Okay. All right. That's Thank good. you. Um, so um, I just wanted to add that this little cottage is uh, between the seven and nine hundred block of Davenport Street, which is parallel to Bloomington, which is the beginning of Goose Town, and there are only a handful of these small cottages left, and they're disappearing fast. Uh, two went down this summer. One is being disassembled now, uh, and two more, I've been told, are coming down within this coming year and others. Uh, we have gotten three letters that um, I remember just since we started this project from developers that wanted to buy the property to take down the house. Um, so I also looked at the records to see if there are any other immigrant houses that would um, be in this district that would be similar, that have been preserved. Um, there are two houses on the National Register in Goosetown, or the edges of Goosetown. One is Rose Hill, which is connected to the Irish family, and the other is up on North Reno Street and didn't have anything to do with the immigrant population. 
So there are no houses that have been set aside to honor this early history and culture of our city. Uh, so this is a tiny cottage and also, it, you know, to me personally, when we're talking about the homeless and people needing a place to stay, this is an example of a tiny house that is uh, possible for a young family, uh, a young couple to start out in. It would keep it out of landfill. It adds to the uh, historic value of the neighborhood and our history. And so to me, it's uh, an easy uh, solution to some several problems. So I hope you'll consider that. And I'm here if you would like to ask any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else from the public like to make comments? Seeing no one, council discussion. Well, um, oh, actually, <laughs> so I, I have to close the public hearing. So <laughs> I want to make sure that the council, are you all inclined to vote with PNZ? All right, so I'm going to close the public hearing. Now, council discussion. Mayor, can we get a motion? We need a motion, yeah. Oh, can I get a motion to give first consideration? So moved, alter. Second, Weiner. <laughs> all right. No, council discussion. <laughs> it even happens to me. <laughs> well, kind of is an interesting item to have after our work session discussion. Um, sort of speaks to what I was talking about in the core neighborhood. You know, they have a long history of um, being a you know a human settlement and have gone through um, you know the, the neighborhoods in which these early settlements uh, exist have gone through considerable change. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm personally very uh, sympathetic toward the idea of preserving what I might call everyday architecture. These are not monuments to, you know, architectural style. They're, they're, they're uh, memorializing a certain aspect and period of Iowa City's history. Uh, and as Mary Beth mentioned, actually serve, um, can serve a practical use as a, as a small home. And um, she also mentioned the, what's happening in the neighborhood. You know, all the, the other examples of these properties which are um, being demolished. I, I would be interested to know, I mean, um, and we di I didn't ask staff this question, but I would assume that you know, a development opportunity on a site like this might be to preserve the cottage and develop a second accessory unit, perhaps. Um, maybe too late to have that question answered, but, you know, that's the kind of thing that could happen um, uh, with properties where we try to preserve certain aspects while acknowledging the opportunity for uh, change within that context. So, um, I'm you know, very supportive of this. As I said again, it sort of speaks to the pressures that we're seeing uh, in the core neighborhoods uh, as we speak. I'm just, I'm grateful to the effort to preserve this because I think piece, these different pieces, whether um, as Councillor Thomas mentioned, whether it uh, doesn't have to be monumental, 
not all of our history is monumental, but it's important to preserve these different pieces so that we have um, a roadmap going forward. I appreciated the homeowner coming forth and showing support for this because sometimes that's not the situation that we deal with. So that's very encouraging and I will be supporting this. Roll call, please. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item number 7B is a preliminary and final plat, McGrath subdivision. Resolution approving the preliminary and final plat of the McGrath subdivision, Iowa City, Iowa. Can I get a motion to approve, please? So moved, Burgess. Second, Second. Taylor. Moved by Burgess, seconded by Taylor. And welcome back, Danielle. Thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> this is an application uh, by the property owner, uh, Warrior Enterprises LLC, requesting a combined preliminary and final plat of McGrath subdivision. This is land that's been developed without being subdivided previously, basically to create a 1.94 acre commercial subdivision with two commercial lots, as I mentioned, already developed as 1501 and 1515 Willow Creek Drive. Um, both uh, properties already contain buildings and parking areas and no further development is being proposed at this time. Um, this shows the preliminary and final plat. This is a combined process that's allowed under our code. Basically, if you satisfy all the requirements for both the applications at once, you can combine them and take care of all of that in uh, one case. Um, so the uh, combination of those steps is the preliminary plat, which is essentially a public hearing process on the final plat, which is just more administrative. Um, so this plat does show the existing buildings and infrastructure. Um, no, as I said, no additional development and no public improvements are required. So lot one contains a building that was constructed in the 1980s and lot two contains a building constructed more recently in 2017. Uh, for review of the preliminary, preliminary plat, we did look at uh, all of those criteria and requirements. Um, um, and there are no known zoning conditions, so we didn't really need to check back on, on that. Um, our review would be uh, consistency with a comprehensive plan, essentially, and this is in the proposed development, which is existing development, is generally consistent with the, consistent with the comprehensive plan, which is a focus on general commercial development. Um, there is a Southwest District plan also um, identifying this area as a appropriate for the type of development that's already there. Um, we did take a look at the subdivision standards and determined that the preliminary and final, final plat does satisfy the necessary subdivision design standards. Um, there are some things that could be improved and so we've included um, installation of an eight foot wide sidewalk as part of the uh, requirements for at the time of redevelopment, um, to basically to fulfill the bike master plan, um, looking to connect a trail that's very near this uh, to the trail on Highway 6. Um, as I mentioned, no additional improvements for stormwater or sanitary sewer. Um, we did evaluate the existing development and look at its setbacks and dimensional standards um, and determined that any future development would need to uh, comply with some additional standards, but at this time, um, no uh, improvements on behalf of um, the plat 
adding would be required. We did take a look at sensitive areas as abuts Willow Creek, and that is a regulated blue line stream and would have a required buffer. Um, the buffers being met under the current development, unfortunately, must, much of that buffer is already uh, already developed. Um, our sensitive areas ordinance um, only occurred and began regulating properties in the mid-90s. So because this is existing development, uh, what we're looking to do is improve it as a time goes by. So any new development um, would be subject to the sensitive area standard and hopefully uh, eventual um, renaturalization of the Willow Creek uh, corridor would be the ideal. Um, at this point, however, all we can really ensure is that we're um, getting a conservation easement in place so that we're prepared for that should that be an opportunity in the future. Um, this is, a, as I said, the prelim and final plat. Um, sensitive areas are um, minimal and would be reviewed administratively with future site plan and any building permits should they occur would be, again, a staff review. Um, so based on a review of relevant criteria and subdivision codes, staff did recommend with no uh, conditions. The PNZ concurred with that and also voted six to zero to recommend it this evening. Um, that concludes my staff report. Happy to answer questions. Just a quick question, Daniel. The um, conservation easement is being added. I see that on, on the plat. Yes. Okay, thank you. All right, anyone from the development team? No. All right. Public discussion is open. Anyone from the public have a, anything to say on this topic? Seeing no one, council discussion. Roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Motion passes 7 to 0. Item number 8 is landfill cell fiscal year 2023 construction. Resolution approving project manual and estimate of cost for the construction of the landfill cell fiscal year 23 construction project. Establishing, establishing amount of bid security to accompany each bid, directing city clerk to post notice to bidders and fixing time and place for receipt of bids. I'm gonna open the public hearing and welcome. Yes, welcome Walter Joe. from engineering okay. to give a, a brief presentation on this project. So it's located at our landfill on the west side of town, out off of Hebel Avenue. The uh, cell is located in the northwest side of the site, just southwest of the buildings in the main campus. You can see that in the, in the red area. Um, so this cell is approximately 11 acres depending on compaction rates, the amount of tonnage that we take in each year. Uh, this cell is estimated to last between nine and 11 years. Uh, we will be needing to have this space uh, starting in 2024. So construction of this next year allows us to transition from the current cell uh, FY18 into this new cell, FY23. The landfill cell involves um, regulatory requirements, one, uh, one of which is uh, the, the liner system ties into the adjacent cells, which are uh, FY02, FY06, and FY18. We also have a series of piping and a liner system, so we have an underdrain system 
followed by a composite liner system. On top of that, we have a leachate collection system. We also are adding and expanding. Every time we touch new areas, we're expanding our gas extraction. So those gas extraction improvements will include an extension of the collection lines uh, that we just, we just added this year. Uh, and we'll be building off of that new horizontal and vertical gas collection wells which again helps us comply with our permits and, uh, and also will help us ensure that the landfill is operated in a safe way. Uh, we're also improving some stormwater. We're taking the opportunity because we're so close to the campus buildings. There's some stormwater drainage that currently goes through where we're building the new cell. So we're gonna be rerouting some stormwater and improving our stormwater drainage. We're also taking the opportunity to repair some pavement and add some paved area uh, on the campus area, which will allow us to expand some of our programming and to add some more space for the operators to be able to spread out a little bit more and to be able to serve our customers at the landfill better. The last thing we're doing with this project is realigning our sanitary sewer service, which goes underneath the, the landfill cell that we're gonna be building. So we're gonna reroute that to get it in a little bit more favorable location for future. So as the cell is built, uh, so next year, we, we ha basically have a full year to get ready to use that. So we don't anticipate that we'll really be into the cell and using it uh, in our normal operations until uh, well into 2024. Uh, so uh, we budgeted $3.6 million for the construction. The construction estimate came in at $3.7 million pretty good considering the fact that that estimate was probably done two years ago before a lot of things uh, changed with pandemic. We are taking bids at the end of this month and planning to award at the council meeting in December. We would anticipate starting in April with conclusion of construction in October. Uh, I'd like to thank SCS engineers out of Clive. They did uh, the work on the design on this and did an excellent job working with our staff to uh, fit this very interesting shaped uh, landfill cell in, into our current operations. So um, any questions? I do have a question. Um, what type of solid waste goes into this cell? Is this just refuse or does it handle organics? Like how do we kind of separate that out? So the, the initial four to six foot that we'll put in will mostly be out of packer trucks. Um, and the reason being is uh, we don't want anything to puncture the liner. Okay. So we consider that fluffy garbage. That's the term, <laughs> I don't know why we say that, but at any rate, we don't want harder things that could puncture that liner. After that point, we would be putting basically anything that we receive. So we have construction demolition debris. We have um, petroleum soils that we accept. We have uh, our regular garbage, uh, which would include organics in it. Um, if organics have been diverted into people's yard waste and those things, those are going into our composting operations, so they wouldn't be going into the, into the, the cell. Um, in the derecho uh, and post derecho, we, we, um, 
we did we did have to figure out what to do with some of the wood waste so every once in a while we end up with some wood waste or some wood chips that we can't really sell or use in another way so we try to get creative with how we do that and we usually use that to stabilize our haul roads and our rain day pads but Anything that goes in, in doesn't come back out. So, um, so it is a variety of wastes that we have, um, but the, the construction, I, the important thing is the construction demolition debris won't get added until we're well into setting up and phasing that, that new cell. Thank you. Yeah. How long is the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna ask what are, what are uh, there's sort of a range of how long this cell would last what are things the community can do to extend the life of this new cell well one of the best things that we did was back in 2018 we introduced the cardboard ban and that significantly decreased the amount of tonnage that we were receiving each year and so after 2018 we were we were kind of in that 135,000 tons a year we dropped under 130,000 tons for two consecutive years in a row um, we had a, a spike year um, in the middle of the pandemic. A big part of that, I, we believe, is, is pandemic waste. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of people did a lot of construction and we had a lot of activity. Plus we had the derecho in the middle of that. So we saw that as a year that was abnormal. This past year, which ended, uh, it, it, it follows our the uh, tonnage follows our fiscal year. The, everybody in the state does that from July 1st to June 30th, and it jumped back down to that mid 130,000 range again for this past year. So, um, to directly answer your question, I guess in a sense, it it would we're already doing a lot of things to do that. We have a car, we have an asphalt shingle recycling program that we reinstated. We have the cardboard ban. We've looked at different ways to divert some of our waste, um, you know, as with the, the methane feasibility study that we did uh, a couple years ago. And so um, we see a good trend already happening. So I, I, I don't know that we need to do a lot to, to do that and, um, you know, more what we're working on as a staff is getting better compaction rates. So making sure that we're we're going over the weight the waste in in a responsible way, and making sure that we're we're building the waste in the cell in in a more logical way. Those those end up we get better compaction rates, and that gets more more waste in in the. You have a fixed volume. So depending on how much you put in and how well you compact it is really how much you can use for that. You answered my question. Perfect. I actually have a question. Um, it goes back to super basic. Um, are the cell names aligned with the year that they're constructed? They're very creative in that way. Yeah, we just, <laughs> we, we don't, we don't want right. to confuse anybody, but yeah. So, so if that's the case was the FY18 cell substantially less in its acreage, or it just you've, you've figured out uh, due to what you just explained about the compaction rates and the type of waste over the past five years, it just you're at life end of this particular cell you're, or fillage, right? Right. I guess I'm just wondering because you're saying that it's like nine to eleven years for this next cell. 
-hmm. And I'm like, this was only five years, right? So I'm just, I'm a little concerned. Yeah. So FY09 is an interesting sell. First of all, it was a seven, it was less than seven acres. This is 11, okay. this is over 11. So significantly bigger. Um, FY18 is interesting because it's a piece of at the original FY09 cell. So after the fire in 2012, we reconstructed FY09 into a smaller footprint. Okay. The remainder of that footprint that would have been the original FY09 ended up being a future cell FY18. Okay. So um, it doesn't always, you know, FY98, 95, 98, 02, 06, 09. It's not necessarily chronological in terms of when it ends. And no, and each of them is a little different size and the ability of what we can maneuver our equipment in there kind of matters. Plus, every cell is building into its adjacent cells as well. So we're building into three other cells with the current cell that we're going to be constructed, whereas um, 18 was only building into two different cells, the 09 cell and then the 02 cell. And so it was a much smaller footprint. It was very rectangular. This has a little bit more of a square shape to it, which will um, be a little easier for the operators to maximize the amount of waste that we can get in that area. In, in the long term, what, what is the estimated build out of the landfill? Do we have one? Yes, yes we do. So um, it's likely, um, we're working on a facility plan right now, a planning document, which is gonna uh, inform a lot of those decisions, but it's likely that we're going to be moving into what we call the Northeast expansion after this FY23 cell, which is across our hull road and, and in, Again, we're very creative. It's in the northeast corner of the site, so northeast expansion. We're, we're very, very creative. Um, but we then after that, we have a cell that can build uh, immediately north of this FY23 cell. The problem with that area and why we wouldn't go there immediately is we want to borrow all the, the soil material out of there and use that material in our operations for daily cover and for um, a final cover construction and those kind of things. So rather than paying a contractor to do that, our own landfill operator staffs will be borrowing that material. And so that, that takes a little while to get to that. So. Whereas the uh, Northeast expansion area is pretty much ready for us to start using that. So it's likely we'll, we'll flip over to that area and then come back here. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? All right, thank you. Anyone from the public like to address this topic? I don't see anyone online, is that correct? Anyone from the public, please state your name and the city you're from. Joe Purdy, I'm from Williamsburg, Iowa. Came right here for a quick moment. We could all stand if you want to. I pledge allegiance. We are on the landfill cell. And fiscal year don't talk over me, Mr. Mr. Mayor. I'm talking, this public comment. No, we, we are on, we are on. I pledge allegiance to the flag. Excuse me, we are on 20, the landfill, okay. So we're gonna continue. Anyone else from the public? Anyone else from the public would like to address this topic? Seeing no one, I'm gonna close the public hearing.
Can I get a motion to approve, please? So moved. Second, Taylor. Moved by Weiner, seconded by Taylor. And council discussion. Learned a lot. Yeah. Stomp, stomp, stomp. Yeah. All right. Roll call, please. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item number nine is water treatment plant, chlorine feeder, system upgrade, resolution approving project manual estimate of the cost for the construction of the water treatment plant, chlorine feeder system upgrade project, establishing amount of bid security to accompany each bid, direct and city clerk to post notice to bidders, and fixing time and place for receipt of bids. I'm gonna open the public hearing and welcome. Chlorine upgrade, pro upgrade project, I don't have a presentation for it. I'd just like to speak about it briefly. So the uh, scope of this project is to replace the chlorine feeder system. Uh, the components have reached design end of life about 20 years. The plant's been open for about 20 years. And also to remove the defunct ammonia feeder equipment. Uh, the estimated opinion of probable construction costs is 192,000. Uh, design and inspection costs are about 83,000. And the budget for this is in the water fund at 315,000. Uh, all drinking water is required to have a disinfectant residual in it uh, before it leaves our treatment facility. Chlorine is the most ubiquitous uh, way of doing that. Uh, chlorine itself is inherently dangerous. And this uh, gaseous chlorine system is actually quite ingenious in its design and uh, it's definitely time for it to be upgraded. Uh, the way it is fed is through, uh, we get it delivered in one ton cylinders, but they actually weigh 3,777 pounds. It's a little trivia fact that they like to <laughs> give you when you're getting your licenses for this. Uh, but the way it works is that cylinder is very robust so that it can't uh, be damaged. Uh, from there, it goes through a vacuum actuated regulator, and then the rest of the system until it is in the feed water is all under vacuum. Uh, that's inherently safe, so if there's any puncture to the system, you don't get a full release from that cylinder. The regulator on the tank actually closes itself off because it doesn't uh, sense that vacuum pressure anymore. Uh, from there, it's ejected into a water stream. That water stream is then uh, modulated into the drinking water where we put the chlorine and then that chlorine is given time to react within our chlorine contact tanks uh, and then we pump that out of our uh, clear wells into the system with a slight residual in it just in case anything else gets into the system when it's out in the uh, distribution system. So uh, we expect to finish the formal bidding process that yet this year and uh, finish construction early in 2023. Uh, we look forward to having the project complete. Great. Any questions? Us or oh, no, from council to John. I just have a question. Um, a, I'm, I'm looking at the memo here, and um, or the resolution, sorry. Um, and it says the ammonia feed system has not been used recently. So what is that, number one? And then number two, why hasn't been used recently? Yeah, so ammonia is uh, used to, uh, well, chloroaminate. So uh, you can mix the ammonia in with the chlorine, which then creates chloroamines, which is another form of disinfectant and is used to reduce the amount of chlorine you use, but it also 
has uh, unwanted side effects with disinfection byproducts and potential uh, uh, corrosion issues in the system that have been uh, linked to like lead releases in Washington DC's water system. So it was installed initially in the water treatment facility. It was never used as a disinfection system and has since uh, sat unused for these 20 years and we've scavenged parts from it because a lot of the parts are similar okay. uh, to continue to make the chlorine system function. So at this point it's non-functional and won't ever be functional and actually presents more of a hazard as it is than uh, just getting it out of there. Thanks. All right, seeing no more questions, thank you. Anyone from the public like to address this topic, the water treatment plant chlorine feeder system upgrade? Seeing no one, I'm gonna close the public hearing. Can I get a motion to approve, please? So moved, Burgess. Second, Weiner. Moved by Burgess, seconded by Weiner, and council discussion. Roll call, please. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item number 10 is ARPA UI Labor Center Construction Apprenticeship Opportunity Program. This is a resolution authorizing the mayor to sign a state and local fiscal re recovery fund grant agreement with the University of Iowa Labor Center to administer the quality uh, pre-apprenticeship program. Uh, could I get a motion to defer to the next meeting on 11-15-2022? So moved, Taylor. Second, Weiner. All right, and um, this has just been referred, um, been requested to be deferred so that some final preparation can be made um, between the city and the University of Iowa Labor Center. Um, roll call, please. Weiner? Yes. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item number 11 is public measure number one, the Keep and Bear Arms Constitutional Amendment Ballot Referendum. Resolution opposing public measure number one, the Keep and Bear Arms Constitutional Amendment Ballot Referendum. Could I get a motion to approve, please? So moved, Alter. Second, Weiner. Moved by Alter, seconded by Weiner. And all right, who wants to, was there someone planned to lead in this topic of discussion? No? All right, <laughs> great. So this is the um, right to bear arm that is gonna be on, on the ballot in November on the general election ballot. And I know that council has some uh, discussion about this and also that we have the, the resolution uh, from the council opposing this. What we're gonna do is we're gonna open this up for public comment and then we'll have the council come and give some um, discussion after. So welcome. Anyone from the public will have three minutes or less to talk on this topic. Welcome. Thank you. Um, and last time I was here, Mayor Teague, you weren't here. Uh, yes. Congratulations on, on your wedding. 
Thank you. Um, my name's Temple Hyatt. I live here in Iowa City. And since I was here last, I just wanted to pass along to the council that the Iowa City Community School District School Board has publicly um, published a letter to the editor in opposition of Public Measure 1. The Johnson County Board of Supervisors passed a resolution opposing Public Measure 1. Uh, Janet Linus spoke in opposition. Uh, the Cedar Rapids Community School District and the Lynn County Board of Supervisors both have passed resolutions opposing public measure one. Um, and the Lynn County attorney and the Lynn County sh sheriffs uh, co-wrote uh, a letter to the editor encouraging the public to vote no. So um, I appreciate the council's time in considering this issue um, and the importance that it um, that it has in impacting our communities and uh, the decisions that, that we can make to um, keep our, our schools and communities safer. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Anyone else like to address this topic? Seeing no one in person or online, council discussion. So uh, I appreciate mom's demand action activism on this. Um, I, I, I wanted to say a few things, one of which is that we, I do not want the state to be in the position where we cannot pass reasonable common sense gun legislation. Um, I would like to, for us to be able to save the lives of those who are potentially suicidal. I would like us for be, to be able to save the lives of those who are victims of domestic violence. I do not want our kids to have to do active shooter drills. I'd rather have them like learning normal things in school. Um, uh, so Temple Hyatt mentioned the, the, one of the editorial. I would quote from, from the two Lynn County elected officials. I would just quote a couple of brief passages. Um, they said the passage of public measure one would strike down laws on the books that prosecutors use to hold gun offenders accountable. It would prevent our children and grandchildren from passing reasonable gun re uh, legislation and regulations in the future. Um, this is not the Second Amendment. We actually already have the Second Amendment from the U.S. Constitution. Uh, the and the strict scrutiny part of this public measure does not mean stricter gun laws. It means little to no gun laws could be enforced. Uh, and finally, I would quote them where they say the gun amendment is not about freedom. It's about more gun violence. The gun amendment is not about embracing rights. It's about seizing power from future generations. Um, and our sheriff told me that um, this is this effort is a solution without a problem. It will do nothing to enhance public safety or make anything better for Iowans. It will likely have a ripple effect that creates a barrier for any future gun laws and jeopardize standing convictions. Thank you, Councillor Weiner. I just would like to add to remind people to flip the ballot over uh, to be sure to vote no on this. I don't have any prepared remarks, but um, I will just say that I am appalled that this is on the ballot, given the fact that um, we already have the Second Amendment, so there's no need to do anything more about that. Um, and yet, this is on the ballot, and it is considered more important to provide more power, more gun power, quite literally, than women and girls have over their own bodies. It appalls me. 
I wanted to just to agree with um, I think it's been said here tonight uh, and to point out somebody had mentioned that this is not the second amendment and so I think that's um, uh, I think that's important for people to know that uh, when Iowa Republicans were pushing this through Iowa Democrats actually said okay well let's just do the second amendment verbatim from the US Constitution and Iowa Republicans felt that that didn't go far enough so if anybody says this is just codifying the second amendment into Iowa law it is absolutely not that so yes I I will be looking very much forward to voting for this resolution, asking people to vote no on this. And thank you, of course, to Moms Demand Action and everybody who's taken a stand against gun violence. Yeah, thank you all for your words and your advocacy. I think this is incredibly important. And, and certainly there's, I think, a lot of misinformation about there out there about what this proposed amendment is. And just a reminder that we, we, we do not need this for even those who would want, um, if you look at what happened uh, in the changes in legislation without this amendment, Iowa got rid of, you know, permit carrying, uh, gun permits for carrying, concealed carry. And it's just the restrictions on our ability, for example, to try and control firearms within our buildings. Um, this would go even further and, and limit not just our, but as uh, Councillor Weiner mentioned, the state legislature's ability to have just the most basic common sense regulations that the vast majority of people approve of. So please vote no. What about the police violence on the- Any other comments by council? Roll call, please. Alter? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Could I get a motion to accept correspondence? So move, Thomas. Second, Alter. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes seven to zero. Item number 12 is assessment schedule. Resolution adopting an assessment schedule of unpaid mowing, cleanup of property, snow removal, sidewalk repair and stop box repair charges and directing the clerk to certify the same to the Johnson County Treasurer for collection and the same manner as property taxes. Can I get a motion to approve, please? So moved, moved Burgess. Moved by Burgess. Second, Second. Alter. <laughs> Seconded by Alter. All right, public discussion. Anyone from the public like to address this topic? It is assessment schedule. Seeing no one, council discussion. Roll call, please. Burgess? Yes. Harmson? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Alter? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Um, I hear a sound. Will someone please silence the sound? Thank you. We're still in council meeting. Uh, we're at item number 13, which is council appointments. Applicants must reside in Iowa City and be 18 years of age unless specific qualifications are stated. 13A is Planning and Zoning Commission. Planning and Zoning Commission has one vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment through June 30th, 2023. And it does have a gender requirement, which is male, and we had three applicants, which identify as male.
I'd put forward Chad Wade. Okay. I agree with that. Um, he's been in the Iowa City area for over 43 years, it sounds like, and uh, has a very good knowledge of the uh, PNC committee. I can support that. I can support it. I will just throw out Ty Bop. Yes, those were two that both jumped out at me, although I don't have a strong preference one way or the other. I was good, I believe. He was one, he hadn't been in Iowa City very long, though, uh, so it was interesting that uh, after a short time, he's interested in serving on a commission, which is, which is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love seeing that. So it sounds like Chad has uh, sufficient support? Yes, all right. So Chad Wade. Um, can I get a motion to appoint to the Planning and Zoning Commission? So moved, Taylor. Second, Burgess. Moved by Taylor, seconded by Burgess. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes seven to zero. Item number 14, announcements of vacancies new. Applicants must reside in Iowa City and be 18 years of age unless specific qualifications are stated. Human Rights Commission want vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment through December 31st, 2022. Applications must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. Historic Preservation Commission want vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment through June 30th, 2024. Historic Preservation Commission, one Woodlawn Avenue, one vacant city fill an unexpired term upon appointment through June 30th, 2024. Housing and Community Development Commission, one vacant city fill an unexpired term upon appointment through June 30th, 2023. Library Board of Trustee, one vacant city fill an unexpired term upon appointment through June 30th, 2027. Applications must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023. Can I get a motion to accept correspondence? So moved, Alter. Second, Burgess. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes seven to zero. Item number 15, announcements of vacancies previous. Applicants must reside in Iowa City and be 18 years of age unless specific qualifications are stated. Board of Adjustment, one vacancy to fill a five-year term. Board of Appeals, two vacancies to fill a five-year term. Climate Action Commission, three vacancies to fill a three-year term. Human Rights Commission, three vacancies to fill a three-year term. Parks and Recreation Commission, two vacancies to fill a four-year term. Public Arts Advisory Committee at large, one vacancy to fill a three-year term. Senior Center Commission, two vacancies to fill a three-year term. Applications must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. Airport Zoning Board of Adjustment, one vacancy to fill a five-year term. Airport Zoning Commission, Iowa City Representative, one vacancy to fill a six-year term. Historic Preservation Commission, Jefferson Street, one vacancy to fill a three-year term. Vacancies will remain open until filled. Item number 16 is City Council information. Any updates? A couple of us had the, had the pleasure of attending the Human Rights Commission's Awards breakfast last week. Really, um, really impressive group. And uh, it's, it, it just, it's 
fantastic what people do for their local commu communities uh, on a regular basis and in a wide range of issues from housing to youth to women's health and, and, and much more than that. Um, also wanted to remind everyone that there's an election next Tuesday and early voting is going on at the public library the next two days. You can vote early at the, at the auditor's office uh, and drive through all week, including this weekend. And there's also early voting at the Coralville and North Liberty libraries this coming weekend. It is totally inappropriate for you to be playing that during council meeting. Sorry about that. I'm trying to get Martin Luther King off my Please, we're, 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 we're conducting a meeting here. Thank you. C comments? I'm just going to say two, um, early voting. Uh, just add my voice to that. And uh, did the drive-through voting at the Johnson County Auditor's Office today, which is one of the early voting options. Um, in and out in five minutes. It was uh, really nice, really convenient. Um, and that'll be every, every day from now until uh, the day before the election day, I believe. I may call on Councilor Burgess to speak to this a little bit more, but there was an incredibly cool event that was a pop-up from um, a lot of different local food oh. trucks. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, and Councilor Harmson, I just happened to be passing by and see it, but um, it looks like this is uh, a new-ish event that hopes to be sustainable. Is that right? Do you guys want to? I just I thought it was so cool, but I wasn't there for that long. And I just I both ate a lot were. of food, so I, <laughs> yeah, that's I all I know about it. No, I believe it was uh, some of our local food truck vendors came together and approached. Um, uh, I'm going to get the old name. I can't remember the new name of the facility. Oh, Purpose City. Place. Thank you, Dream City, uh, and uh, they said yes. You can use our our, our uh, parking lot, and they. Had, a, had all the food trucks lined up, and it was uh, a great way to uh, fuel up before door knocking on Saturday, so. Okay. I have asked you to turn off your device no, you several times, several times. You are, the rules of the council is that you must be appropriate and respectful, okay? Now, if I have to ask you again, I'm gonna ask you to leave. So please be silent while we con while we continue. Thank you. Any any other any any other comments? No. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna respectfully I'm gonna respectfully ask you to leave the the council meeting at this time. I'm going to ask you to leave. Please leave. Well, you want me to put my head down like I'm nobody, like I'm not somebody? Okay. Or am I somebody that We're we're going to we're going to continue. Please be please 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 be silent. Please be silent. Please be silent. We're going to continue. Any other comments? Come on, Jeffrey, make a comment. Okay. Civil rights. All right. No other comments. We're at item number 17, which is report on items from city staff. We'll go to the city manager's office. Nothing tonight. Our city attorney. Nothing. Thank you, Mayor. All right. Our city clerk. Nothing tonight. All right. Item number 18 is a motion for adjournment. So moved, Alter. Second, Burgess. All right, all in favor say aye. 
Hi. Any opposed? We are adjourned. <laughs>